Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I am Luminous. And I'm Rico. And you're listening to another episode of the Top Deck Time. This is episode 24, and we are here for yet another amazing week of Eternal News, decks, strategies, and this is an important number, 24. You know, just a couple of episodes back, we talked about the magic <laughs> the of base, base 12 math, and now we are <laughs> double that. So, yay to us, patting myself uh, on the back. I'm going to welcome my uh, lovely co-host from Austria. Rico, how are you doing today? I am doing fine. The weather is unfortunately very unfriendly towards people who want to go outside today, but that's why we can appreciate it even more, sit inside and play a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? So I recently had a very busy week. Um, a pretty big Dota personality swung by Hong Kong just kind of to visit. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong, I guess, and since I'm like a dude here that's involved in Dota, so I, I just like took it upon myself to take him around, seeing uh, places, mostly just eating a lot. I was like, "What do you want to <laughs> do?" He's like, "I want to eat." So we uh, we ate. One of the most exotic location we had was we we took a small boat, like thirty five forty minutes uh, off the coast of Hong Kong to a place called Lama Island, which is like a small island. I think that's still part of Hong Kong, and we just like ate very fresh seafood uh that was pretty amazing but as such i didn't have a lot of time to play the weekend event that actually was happening this week um so i i actually can't talk too much about it but you can right this why don't you why don't you explain this week's uh event and what exactly you played in it the weekly event the event this week was called uh temporary alliances and the special rule was that all your multi-faction cards would be reduced by one in their cost. I played three rounds and I played against a bunch of different decks, but also some of the more known meta decks, like Rakano and Burn Queen and um, Combray, although with different lists. Because like, for example, Stonescar um, was playing the 2-2 Quick Draw Stranger and the Obsidian Armor, for example. The Combray decks, they could play like 3 power, 4-4, four, four, Overwhelm, each is... Um, guy or four power seven seven reality wardens, which was uh, actually brutal. I'm curious, did the Rakano decks play Navani at all? As yes, a three they power, did. Four, they four? did. Okay, yeah, 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 they did. They played uh, Navani and the Rakano Outlaw. Uh, no, not Outlaw. The 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 Crown Watch Sister. I mean the the two power three power, three Warcry. Yeah, the two power three three Warcry, which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, they've also been playing the Fearless Nomad, the zero power three one Overwhelm. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's pretty good also uh, one one person actually played the warp deck against me which I, I definitely wanted to do and I, I think I still have time we are recording on a Sunday now I, I, I will probably try and do that uh, play the workshop forge deck maybe even go super deep and play workshop forge strangers um, <laughs> so that was cool I personally played uh, dark combray which uh, a lot of people did and I felt like it was one of the strong archetypes and I played um, a version, like I, I played a Voda combo version just because I've played against a lot of Combray versions and I just wanted to go over the top of them. Okay. So would you say the speed of the format is relatively similar to the latter or is because things cost one cheaper, every every game was just like blazing fast out of the gate, especially with some of these aggro decks playing two power 3-3 with Warcrys? No, I think it was comparable just because the other player was like able to to parry that by playing something under as well. Uh, plus, like, premium removal such as um, 
such as Slay and Banish were also reduced in cost. Yeah. And Banish deserves a, a special note just because Banish could hit multi-faction five drops, quote-unquote. Oh, right. You could just well. hit a re- Reality Warden, right? With yeah, your two-power right. Banish. Easy. Yes, <laughs> yes. So Banish was uh, like a super all-star for me. And yeah, like, I mean, the opponent can play a two-power 3-3 three, three, and you're Combre and you play a two-power Combre healer or a two-power Seraph. Right. Right, or a three-power um, four, 4 Overwhelm. That name eludes me. Uh. Well, I'm I'm the worst with names, so let's let's not go there. But are there any <laughs> jank decks that you saw that you know took advantage of this craziness? I, I've I've seen and heard rumors of people playing things like Nectotraxian. I haven't personally seen this. I have played against the Scream list, though. Okay, um, that was pretty Seems cool. Good. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one power Scream is good for one. Um, two power Gorgon Fanatic is pretty good. Um, and he has also he has been playing five five and he played like uh, the Warband Chieftain I think is the name the five power five five um, when it dies and you get five right. swords to somebody right 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 and you could scream it that's pretty cool you could scream scrap tank too if you want right you can scream scrap tank and he also played the um, memory treasure you know this whole event it's like scream and memory treasure seems yeah yeah, yeah. so th- so that was pretty sweet. So I, I didn't have time to play it, but I, I think if I, you know, if this event rolls around in the future, one thing I really wanted to try is Call of the Ancients plus mm-hmm. Crown Watch Press Gang. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, it's probably too slow given just the, the nature of how you describe the speed of this event, because I'm trying to cheese my way out to find a 6-6 six, six on turn 5 or 6, and I don't think that's fast enough or good enough. Although, a 6-6 six, six Endurance with Aegis seems quite durable against the field if you could actually get it out reliably but yeah, yeah i mean it's not 7-7 seven, seven. still doesn't get past the reality warden i have seen a lot of reality wardens oh i heard <laughs> uh i heard maiden was everywhere because the cudgels were oh yeah the cudgels are free right yeah you don't normally see this because it doesn't have an influence requirement but that's just because it's a stolen card and stolen cards lose the influence requirements but it's actually right. a, a shadow fire multi-faction card okay all right, seems good. So maybe, so maybe there's a cool quarter maiden build. Well, I mean, when you're going off with zero power cudgels already, and like you're doing well, I don't know if you want to stick quarter master on top of that. Quarter I mean, maiden. I want to be drawing cards. I don't know what you want to be doing, but I want to be drawing cards. <laughs> I, I think I think quarter maiden is like already good enough for constructed. Oh, well, maybe good enough is a very strong statement, but it, it's worth exploring. I think. Now, the other big piece of news that happened this week, and I'm sure you guys all know if you are playing Eternal at all with some frequency, is that we had a pretty big patch when it comes to things like quality of life and cosmetics, which is that Direwolf Digital added faction achievements. Is that, mm-hmm. is that the b- best way to, to translate this? Where, let's say if you play a game with a armory deck, you'll earn some points to your fire achievements and justice achievements. And each faction has a hundred level of achievements, and these achievements are retroactively given out up to level fifty. So, for example, uh, for my account, I play a ton of Primal and a ton of Time. So when I logged in that day after the patch, I noticed that I was level fifty on Primal and level fifty on Time, and retroactively I got a ton of rewards. Mm-hmm. Like I think I got like fifteen k gold, thirty packs, a bunch of shift stones. And for any of you guys that have been playing with any regularity, 
uh, you would have got some amazing reward as well. I think the subreddit was filled with gratitude and very thankful of yes. the generosity of DWD. Thanksgiving came relatively early this year here for us. <laughs> so that that was good. But a very important question I have to ask you, Rico, is uh, what is your highest level? Because that determines how this podcast will go in the future and how our friendship will go as well. Well, to be honest, I don't, I'm not as high leveled. I haven't been playing as much Eternal as I used to when I started. My highest level is actually 42 in time. In time, okay. Because if it's yeah. a fire, then, you know, we need to really... Oh, no, no, no. Rethink about life. Like, fire is my lowest. Fire is my lowest. Fire is my lowest as well. Um, I had time and primal at 50 and justice at 49. So I guess I'm just a a TJP player. The reason my justice level is so high is because I I really love to play some chank decks and they basically only work if you turn 5 harsh rule. So (laughs) I mostly try to include those. Turn five harsh rule and turn one inspire, remember? Like you just like cycle through your deck. So you always had justice. (laughs) so i actually want to talk about somebody data mine all of the achievements you can you could get with Mm -hmm. every single levels of um like for example at at level two you get a hundred gold for each fire shadow justice and and time and as you go down more and more you get more gold you get more shifts though and you get cards premium cards art portrait arts deck art all of that is amazing is there any particular levels that you want to talk about where there, there's some cool reward or perhaps not cool rewards? Um, so I think all the ones where you unlock new emotes are pretty cool. Okay. Just because more emotes are always better. And Do, do we know what are some of the higher level emotes? Because like I hit 50, so I got, let's say, the exclusive thanks emote from Roland or, or from Eileen. But for example, at level 60, you get the curse emote unlocked. Uh, a 70, you get the cheer emote. And for 85, you get the taunt re- emotes. And I don't think anybody are at those levels yet. Do you know if they're data mined or? I I am not sure. But like, I think the most important one is unlocked at level 25. And it's the fire greedy mode, which okay. is, this is going to be good. And I think that's <laughs> that's the one you should aim for. That's the one I have equipped right now. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Although I don't really like it when my opponent goes turn one only Ronin and then goes this is gonna be good. this is gonna be good <laughs> because yeah, it's, it's a little bit it, it really isn't gonna be good. But like I'm I'm the person who plays like depleted seats and banners until turn four and starts right, with this right, is right. gonna be good. So I mean, that's why that's why we have primal and time as our highest uh, level faction so right. far. We're, we're not the fire play here. My my biggest question is what is the level hundred reward? Currently, it, it reads unknown. I think I've read somewhere mm-hmm. that you're supposed to earn the golden portrait of your scion, but that is a reward for level 50 currently. So I, I don't know uh, what the level 100 is. The thing is, it will take us so long to actually get to level 100. I think the idea between all of this for DWD is that it's, it's supposed to be a long-term kind of progression thing. It's not something you could knock out in a month or two. In fact, uh, they're talking right. about maybe even over a span of two years. So... You know that that curse emo I want to lock at sixty. I might I might be able to do that in in three weeks, four weeks. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Like I I think I only leveled up once since the since the new patch, and I was pretty close to that. Um, right, and I, we've been playing for so like it, a week. it does take a while. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's very very nice that you like after each game you get uh, something 
to look at where you like made some progress. And I think that's cool. Even though uh, you, you even gain points when you lose. So I think that's cool. You gain points in, I think, every game mode. Like uh, you gain points in Gauntlet, for example. Uh, although a little bit less. I don't know, something that might keep you motiv motivated. So even if you lose, you at least gain some ranks in your in your faction progress. So I believe we, we actually talked about this very specific point uh, previously in one of our, maybe the, the episode where we compare Eternal to other video games. No Game No Life. No Game No Life, I believe, episode 7 or 6 or something like that. Um, so I, I, I would like to think that we had a, a tinsy little... Something to do with all that goodness that we're getting right now. So I'm gonna pat myself on the back <laughs> for for that one. Yeah, I'm sure. Like I like I'm pretty sure that we're the reason. And um, folks, it's fine. You can thank us later. We we're <laughs> glad we did it. Um, no, but honestly, I, I'm I'm not sure like our influence there. But but if it makes you feel better, I I can pretend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was also, sure, so it was all us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to say that some of the premium cards uh, awards that you get are really really cool. So for example, mm -hmm. level twenty, uh, level fifty five, for fire you get four premium only Ronins. For justice you get finest hour. For for uh, primal you get wisdom of the elders. For shadow you get dark returns, and then for time you get amber acolytes. So it's not exactly a cycle, but for example, if you want to do a cycle, you'd be like you know amber acolyte. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad it's not a cycle. Yeah. DWD did a good job selecting what are like the most iconic cards for the faction. Like when you're playing Primal, you're, you're likely playing Wisdom of the Others and, and only Ronin for Fire and things like that. Although I am surprised it's t only Ronin and not Torch. Yeah, um, fair point. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, although at level seventy-five, we get the uh, the beautiful ring cycle: the yeah. Granite Ring, the Ammo Ring, the Cobalt Ring. Amber I'm not ring. so sure about that, to be honest. Like, level 75, it takes you so long to get there. And then you get, like, a playset of premium, I don't know, cobalt <laughs> rings. Didn't you say the, the sweet spot is at level 95? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Like, those are the best premiums, I think. You get uh, four uh, Rekano Outlaw, four Crown Witch Paladin, uh, Permafrost, Annihilate, and Temple Scribe. Premiums. Yeah, all premiums yeah. and all a playset. But I mean, if you get your account to level ninety-five, yeah, you probably have you, those. Yeah, like even if you're not trying to craft it, you'll probably just acquire it by. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure for the fifty-five achievement, I already have. I think half of those just by drafting. Yeah, I think I definitely have four premium uh, wisdom of the elders and stuff like that. Uh, the other cool thing is that you get to unlock things like uh, avatars or or decards. Mm -hmm. So for level sixty-five, you get a leave the witness deck art, bruh. You know now. You, yeah, that's now pretty you, cool. Well, you have the harsh rule one already, but I think you just have too many harsh rule decks. You could kind of identify them a little bit better. So that's pretty cool, <laughs> right? Also, also, you get wandering wisp in them. Yeah, I don't know, but like, um, it's it's. I think it's Carla's favorite artwork of set two. Okay, it does look quite like cute. it. It does look quite cute. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm actually pretty hyped for you know some of these new art, but I guess we won't be able to get it anytime soon. And it's again, like you said, something that's nice to look forward to. I'm not like trying to grind grind out these rewards, but when I do, you know, level to fifty one, I'll be like, hey, I got a hundred gold. I right, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so speaking of getting gold and getting reward, uh, Topic Time has a fairly interesting idea that we want to 
want to do. We are getting a couple of emails and sometimes on subreddit asking what they should do if they're a newer player. I also get this question a lot when I stream. So mm-hmm. this is, I guess, the inspiration for us to do a little bit of fun challenge for ourselves. Basically, I want to uh, make a new account, go through the tutorial, and see what is the least amount of time we could put into the game and get Constructive Master. We're not 100% set on how we want to approach this yet because right. we we kind of do want to... Um, give a new player experience, which is like we are handicapped because we are not new players. <laughs> so, like we, we do have advantages and we want to minimize the influence of our of our advantages on, on, on this like project just because we want this to be like reproducible for new players. So we kind of decided against draft as a means to get cards just because we figured that our draft skills are better than the ones of an average new player. We will do that one free draft though, because that is. But like, we could do something like just just rare pick in the first draft, right? Because everybody can do that. Like, everybody can take the card with the highest rarity, and just just retire it or just play it and see how it goes. And we, I think it would be the fairest if we just retired it. We're only gonna do things that are basically available to the newest player, even if it's like your first time playing the game. So I would say that perhaps the puzzles are a fair game, right? I mean, we'll do them very quickly because we already did it. Right. And we already know how the puzzles work. Mm-hmm. Um, and a newer player will probably sit down and maybe spend two, three, four times the amount of time that we would to go through each individual puzzles. But eventually they'll be able to get that much gold. And and you said it was about 3.5k gold? I think it was. it's around 3.5, yeah. Yeah. I might be wrong there, but that's... That's what I think it is. And it's just lying around there for grabs. So Rico and I will basically brainstorm a little bit to figure out what is the best way to progress and and try to build up the minimal car collection that we need to actually get to Masters. And and I don't think getting to Masters is actually an indication of anything per se, but it seems like that is a milestone goal that a lot of new player like kind of see themselves like being happy with like in the game right i always see on subreddit be like oh i hit master for the first time i really love this game stuff like that so i think right. that's a, a good general goal that uh, i think any player could actually easily achieve if you put a little bit of work and time into it i think whenever we see new player in the game and when they at least when they ask me what what are the logical steps to take we always used to say you do all the forges all the way up to at least diamond to master you grind gauntlet up to diamond slash master and then you start doing drafts obviously we're not doing draft because of the the restriction slash handicap that you mentioned do you still think that the gauntlet and forge are, are the path that we should take as well i normally would absolutely do that i am i am unsure how to do this like i would really appreciate some feedback from the listeners because on the one hand like every new player would do a forge and would do a couple of forges in fact to just build the collection and um yeah get 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 the rank up chests I do think that we have an easier time building the for- uh, uh, beating the forge than a new player. So I I don't know how like unfair that comparison would be. So I'm kind of torn. Yeah, I, I could see your point. You're saying that maybe a newer player would not be able to like consistently win seven win the forge, right? Yes. Like it could be unfair if we said like okay, it it only takes you like this and this just because we 
I don't just because we have an easier time beating the forge. But on the other hand, like it is a very good source of new cards and golden shift zone. So I would say it's probably the best source of. Yeah, I think so too. So if if the listeners have any kind of feedback on this, it would be very much appreciated. Like, tell us what you think about this. Tell us if you would be interested in us doing this. Um, I think we would start um, next season, right? Next season, as in next month, or I think that would make sense, right? I don't know. I, I don't know when we'll start. It, it just think that perhaps our current listener base aren't really the new players, right? So. Right. But like everybody of them was a new player once, right? True, true. So maybe maybe some of you guys uh, have any. So if you have any input at all, like we really would appreciate it. We that's something we have been thinking about, and we are not one hundred percent sure how to do it yet. Yeah, Rico is mostly approaching from the perspective of how to help the new players as much as possible by essentially limiting and handicapping ourselves a little bit because obviously we know this game a little bit more than the new players would. I'm personally coming up from from perhaps the other direction of we know this game a lot. I want to see how quickly we could hit master speedrun approach. Which I, I think that will be a fun approach. Yeah, I think that's cool as well. Like maybe we we just do that. <laughs> right. It's a it's a conflicting idea. Uh, I think a little bit, and I I want to see what you guys think a little bit because I I think even though I want to have fun with this quote unquote speed run, the ultimate uh, goal of this is kind of turn it into content, and hopefully we could make a very dedicated kind of new player episode in the future where when they come in they could listen to what we went through you know how we open up the packs evaluated what rares we got and then you know build a deck that went through gauntlet build a deck that went through uh you know diamond one gold one you know all the way to master and things like that so that is the ultimate goal and any input that you guys might have in terms of what is kind of the best way to mold our experience with a new account will, will probably be good uh, who, who's going to do the tutorial? <laughs> I think that's the most important question, Rico. I mean, I don't mind. Like, I can do the tutorial. Like, uh, yeah, I'll probably put on be some TV well. shows. Yeah. Put on a TV show and, and do, do, do the tutorial. Okay, so that is uh, all of the big major pieces of news that we wanted to discuss. And of course, at Top Deck time, even though uh, we, we, we talk about the Top Decks, Later and later into each every every episode, <laughs> thirty minutes into this episode, we will start talk about some of the decks that we want to talk about this week, which is the Felm archetype. Now, if you listen to all the way to the end of last week's episode, we talked about Felm control in particular, uh, and we did start with Felm control at the beginning of the week, and then as the week progressed, we moved away from Felm control and try a little bit uh, one of uh, Rico's old favorite decks, the Felm Temple deck. And then we basically kind of gave it a feel of how Film Control is currently in the meta and also how Film Temple is in the meta. So instead of talking about one top deck this week, we're going to talk about two. Two for one. <laughs> that is good value. So let's actually start with Film Control, which is the deck that we started with. And as always, topdecktime.wordpress.com is the place that you could find uh, all the deck lists with, with the one that we uh, specifically had. So... I started with Film Control after seeing Finkel's post on the subreddit. No, mm-hmm. not the MTG Finkel. Uh, Finkel underscore Eternal Finkel. He said that he really likes Film Control right now in the metagame because you have a subset of cards that just wins you the game outright when you cast it. So, for example, think of Lightning Storm and Black Sky Harbinger against aggressive decks. Mm-hmm. Once you storm them once, you win. 
And then against kind of the mid-rangey decks or the grindy decks, you have very good spot removal, Annihilate, Death Strikes. And of course, you got the Witch Lightning Storm combo or the Witch Harbinger combo, and you just win after that. And then against some of the more degenerate late game control decks or decks that are designed to go very long, you get the Azendel's Gift. Once you gift them, you tend to win as well. And I hope I'm not kind of stuffing wrong words into his mouth, but his idea is that Film Control has the, the beautiful shell that it could incorporate all of these cards that you get a bunch of free wins of. And of course, Film Control has been a deck that's been around for a long time. It has a very resilient shell that's honestly has okay matchups on, on all aspects of ladder. So it's like a, a decent ladder deck. So that's why I was very interested to play Film Control. And that's why I you know took a 75 and decided to kind of run into the ladder with it. I personally had relatively great results. I, I actually was able to go into High Master with it. But Rico, you, you didn't have as good of a time. So let's actually talk about some of our experiences and perhaps how it differs. So what did Film Control not do for you? I, I want to touch a little bit on what you said, that Film Control has the tools to like beat a lot of different decks. On the flip side, and that's, I think, the the one of the disadvantages of playing Felm is that it has the right cards against the right matchups, but it also has the right cards against the wrong matchups sometimes. Like, for instance, when you're up against a Bandit Queen deck and you draw your Celestial Omens and the Sindel's Gifts, you're not super happy about it. Right. Uh, and likewise, when you play against control decks and you play your Lightning Storms and uh, you draw your Lightning Storms and your Spot Removal, you're not super happy about it. So it's kind of a deck that does uh, have the ability to answer a lot of different decks, but it kind of also needs to draw the right pieces. And I think it's a deck that is very rewarding to people who can like identify a metagame and, uh, and deck build just because of the amount of flexibility the deck shell provides. Like there are cards that are mostly always good. Like um, I think the Wisdom of the Elders are, are something that I would play always and like the um, the Felm Bloodcasters and some Varus Favor. So it has a, a pretty strong core and it has a lot of cards that can work around it. And I think it when you know the metagame you play against, uh, you can play a very strong version of Felm. For me, Leda has been an absolute chaos. So I, I couldn't comfortably find a list that I was happy with because there are a lot of different versions the deck can go. I think Finkel's version played a high end of only a Sindel's Gift and two Celestial Omen. And um, that is absolutely great in uh, in a field where like Chalice is a strong contender or like mid-range decks are being played a lot, maybe. But there are also other options for your high end, such as going with the Varus or going with uh, Channel the Tempest. And all of those have like different effects on the uh, effects on, on on your matchups the same with the the amount of withering witch or lightning storm or spot removal and how you split it like finkel went, went for a um more expensive removal suit in four death strike uh and feeding time i think if i recall yes. correctly yes so while that's absolutely amazing against praxis for example or um or elision uh, it does struggle a bit against the more aggressive decks um so there is so much you can do and that does reward people who know what to do. I wasn't one of those people this week. I was absolutely <laughs> confused with what I faced on ladder. I couldn't really find a pattern there. And so I I didn't have as much success with the deck as I had before. Like there was a time when I played Felon Control a lot, like when Z2 wasn't released yet. And 
I really loved the deck back then. Uh, it was a varied version, but the metagame was more defined then than it was for me this week, I think. I, I think one one great phrase that you said somewhere in, in the past episodes that we recorded is that control decks on the ladder has the ability to adapt, but also has the necessity that you need to adapt, right? Right, right. Can I just like print that out and like put it on my wall? Like that's such that was such a beautiful phrase. Whatever I just said right now doesn't even come close of what you just said so many weeks ago. And that's actually definitely a very true statement because right now the current ladder meta is coming at you with so many different angles. The Praxis and Elysian mid-range deck, I think, is the most common decks. When you like draw your fresh seven, right, in the beginning of the game, and mm-hmm. you see Annihilate and Death Strike. You might be tempted to keep that if you think about you know going into a a mid range matchup, but then at the same time, if they go turn one fire sigil and go Oni Ronin, and then they go like this is gonna be good, right? Then you <laughs> wish you would have Lightning Storm instead. So, right. I I think one of the beauty of this deck is that even though I just gave you that the scenario of it might be somewhat hard to mulligan, I think this deck's mulligan is still much better than most other decks because your deck is relatively consistent in terms of the removal spells you have for mm-hmm. example when i draw a fresh seven i see like three sigils a lightning storm a permafrost a varus favor and a film bloodcaster or let's say let's say i don't have one Varus favor I, I have one of my high-end card like let's say a champion cunning i'm likely to keep that hand because in between lightning storm and a permafrost i'm like good answering most of the early game threats for at least a right. couple of turns right especially if they have a film bloodcaster Whereas I think some of the more mid ranger control decks, you, you, you open your hand and you see like two Heart of the Vault and a Shadow Glass Mage, and you're like, well, I, I, I hope they're not turn one only Ronin me, right? So I think this deck is quite consistent on that front. And I do want to address the point earlier where you mentioned, well, you know, sometimes you could draw the wrong half of the deck, right? You could draw your Zendos Gift against a Fire deck, or you could draw your Lightning Storms against, let's say, an Armory deck, and, you know, it's useless. I I think the deck design of of the Azendos gift problem is that you only have the one or two copies of Azendos plus Celestial Omen, mm-hmm. and so the the number of times of drawing that against the fire deck is relatively low. And yes, you do have a lot more lightning storms against, let's say, a mid range deck, but your lightning storm still has value because you're running uh, Withering Witch mm-hmm. in the mid to late game. So yes. Even though like drawing the wrong half of the deck is still bad, obviously, I think the by the, the the fact that how this deck is designed and how this deck is built, you either mitigate drawing the wrong half of the deck more often, or even if you draw the wrong half of the deck, it's still useful at a certain time. Uh, I hope that I made that point like relatively clear for the for the listeners. But I actually think this is a very beautiful deck. Like it again, going back to the point that Finko made, it just has some silver bullets against some of the, some of the top mm-hmm. meta decks and i just i, I sure. personally just love that yeah as you said the the, the matches where you want to your single gift you have way more time to find it one other thing that i found myself running into was that i i had the ability to like draw out the match and control the early game and then i didn't have enough late game punch and that was because i ran into a bunch of mid-ranger decks where the single gift wasn't as good of a finisher so um so I had kind of trouble closing out a game once I had control of it. And sometimes I, I lost that control again and, and, and lost the game. So that was where I was going with when I, when I was talking about the high-end choices for the deck. 
Right. Right now, I am very unsure what to do because I think that against Praxis, the Varys are the best choice just because Praxis does have a hard time coming back on board once it's behind. And Vera is a card that can get you ahead pretty easily by either returning a champion or it's super brutal if you can do the witch combo just because uh, Praxis can't rebuild as fast. So you're probably one if you witch combo off of a Vera. Um, but even just varying out like another steward or another champion or something like that just gives you a lot of room against Praxis. The problem is that this isn't necessarily true for Elysian just because they are playing Crystallizes. So against Elysian, I think I would rather have a couple of Channel the Tempest so that I can like trade for their big guy and draw a bunch of cards that gets me ahead. Um, but then that isn't so strong in other matchups. So that, that was, I think, one of the deck building difficulties that I couldn't overcome this week. The Finko list originally didn't have any Varus in it. Uh, yeah. Like you mentioned, the top ends were just two Celestial Omens and one Azendo's Gift. And mm-hmm. I do want to kind of clarify that point. When Rico says like the top end are the two, six, and seven drops, really the units are the, the ones that are finishing the game. So the four Champion of Cunnings plus the four Black Sky Harbinger. Because if you get to activate yeah. both half of the champions, it is to me one of the strongest threats in any control decks to be able to just close out the game, right? A 5 5 yeah, Aegis that just buffs your whole team, you're going to just win the game eventually with Champion of Cunning. The problem with that is, especially in the mid-range matchups against Praxis and, and Elysian, is that it's turn 6, I have Celestial Omen ready to go in my hand, and I have the option to get a Zendo's Gift, which is generally a very common line, right? When you do have the Omen in your hand. And I'm like, okay, I can get a Zendo's Gift, and I can play the Zendo's Gift next turn, but then I'm taking, like, 15 Overwhelm damage yeah. coming from this deck. Like, yeah, yeah, sure, I could... Like, what's my game plan after I Zendo them? Like, am I going to stabilize? That That's really the, the awkward issue that I've been having with this deck sometimes, especially in against those decks where your whole idea is trying to stabilize behind a Zendo's Gift or behind a an answer Champion of Cunning and just, like, turn the corner. It's just that sometimes turning this corner when your life total is so low to begin with or against, like, I don't know, 15 to 20 points of overwhelm damage on the other side, you're like, well, I just can't deal with all that. So then the Celestial Omen game plan into a Zendo's Gift just wasn't that good. So... We both took out one Omen for one Vara. Because the nice thing with Vara is that it just gives you some kind of instant board control once again, right? You go Vara right back either into a Black Sky if you need some HP mm-hmm. or into a Champion of Cunning if you just need a quick lock. So we, we kind of like that. Although before we switch to the Vara version, I also really like Celestial Omen, the 2X, because against certain matchups, let's say um, Chalice matchups, I... Like, I just know them on 7 pretty much, you know, every other game, and I just get the free wins. So, it, it really comes down to what Rigo said earlier, like, how you read the metagames and how you want to prepare for the metagame. I think the current version that we have is more hedging, right? But if you say, if, within the span of an hour, you're like, okay, I'm facing nothing but mid-range practice or mid-range legion deck, then you could kind of tinker your deck a little bit, and you, you should tinker your deck a little bit to... Uh, fight against your metagame. This is more like, hey, I don't know what the metagame is. This is a very wide open field. I'm going to just take this deck in and, and try with it. We do have one a single gift less, quote-unquote, in this list, just because um, there's a Celestial Omen missing. But right. we have two Varys more. 
quote unquote. And I think that Vera does play into the the general theory that Finkel had with the free wins. I think this list gets a little bit of less free wins, obviously, against Chalice, just because it doesn't have as many cards that gain access to a single gift. Um, but it gains a little bit um, against Praxis instead. And it's really just, like, you can't build a version that is good against anything. I think right, right. Uh, for Fel, you just get rewarded if you manage to play against a same kind of deck a couple games in a row, I would say. One other thing is Lumi has been trying the Trailblazers. Yeah, I tried to X Trailblaze on it. Yeah, I personally haven't gotten to try them out yet, but that's something I, I'm interested in just because of the stabilizing the game and then drawing into nothing. I think that the, the Trailblaze do help there, um, getting you the right pieces. I generally like um, feel like the Felon deck is it's so good at slowing down the game, so having something that finds you the correct answer or a threat to finish out the game might be a very good idea, so... I'm skeptical a little bit of the power level of Trailblaze, but like um, we can't play more Wisdom of the Elders, unfortunately, and I don't think that Staff of Stories is a good option, so I'm interested. I mean, would you say Trailblaze is like a poor man's quarry? Yeah. But a poor man's quarry is still a poor man's quarry, right? Yeah, that's kind of my original train of thought when I put in the two Trailblaze. Because this deck, I mean, you you essentially just one for one for days until mm. you start to eke out some like minuscule advantage with let's say ultimating your bloodcaster or just being able to go wisdom into a kill spell like that's kind of your your power turns and what tends to happen is like i have 10 power in play i top deck another power like i'm like damn it can i just draw some gas because you have so much power in this deck you do flood out pretty frequently so i just wanted to see uh, whether i could kind of cut a little bit of let's say i think i cut a permafrost and I think I cut one annihilate for two trailblazes, trying to see if like, hey, instead of just one for one for one for one for for one for days, can I just like get some action and trying to find my threats, whether it's champion of cunning, black sky, or finding the lightning storm. So, um, I don't think I've been able to play enough games to confidently say yes, two trailblazes is the way to go. Um, <laughs> I, I actually don't haven't really seen any positive or negative results. So. It's just a. It's one that you could try at your own risk. So that's been Falm Control. Uh, I still would recommend it personally to any person that is comfortable playing Control Archetype. If you're a Fire player, first time switching over to to Falm Control, like during this time of the month, I would not recommend it. Like Rico said, it, it's it's a deck that you definitely want to be very comfortable with the Control Archetype to begin with, and also you want to have a very comfortable read on the metagame. I would definitely recommend this deck to players who like traditional control just because it's the closest thing we have in Eternal. Okay. Chalice control, for example, in Armory, they play very differently from control decks from um, like MTG. And there's a lot of... Um, like I, I personally read a lot of posts on, on Reddit where people were asking, okay, coming from MTG, what is the equivalent of this in this deck? And I think that this is... Uh, the closest to a traditional control deck we have in Magic, so um, okay. I would definitely recommend uh, people trying this out. I think I still like playing control a lot, so I still had a somewhat good time despite losing a bunch. But uh, <laughs> I can I can definitely recommend the deck. I think it's I, I think it's very strong. It has a super strong core, so even if you're not even if you're not like 100% on with your list, you can still win a bunch of games actually just 
on the back of strong heart. So after Rico didn't have, uh, I guess, as good of a time as I did, uh, we both decided <laughs> to switch over to a different film archetype, which is one that we talked about, I believe, some of one of our earlier episodes. In, uh, very early, yes. Very early, which is the film Temple. You found it on Sir Rhino's stream, which is kind of the, yeah, the way, player way that, back, right? know, that popularized <laughs> it. And the idea yeah. behind this is you're playing kind of relatively difficult to interact with units early on. So think of Twilight Raptors, Whispering Winds, because she has flying, Cabal Countess, Midnight Gale, Impending Doom, and your whole idea is trying to just kill them. You're, you're essentially playing an aggressive deck backed up by very, very good tempo kill spells, which is mm -hmm. where the tempo half of the, the name comes from. So think of Permafrost, Annihilate, Rapid Shot, Backlashes, Backlash is a huge part of this deck. And then you're just, you're, you're just trying to beat them down, kill them in a couple of turns. That is kind right. of the, the simple idea of the deck. Right. And it's a it's an aggressive deck that is better against um, against other decks that play a bunch of units. Just because, as Lumi said, the, the units of this deck are harder to interact with, with units in, in combat. Um, so the, the Gorgon and the Cabal Counters, they have quick draw and, uh, are very hard to get blocked. And most of the other cards really have flying. So it's, it's harder to attack with this, uh, with, with them in combat. And so what I found is that I do have a pretty good time with this deck against the other aggressive creature decks like Rakano and Stonescar. I think those are actually fine matchups. Um, you can get them with a Beast Colors Amulet, for, for example, and that's <laughs> mostly game. Um, or also Midnight Gale really shines in those matchups when you can like protect it with a Backlash, maybe. And just playing your giant units, like playing Impending Doom and Pearlescent Drake, when you curve into those and the opponent is just playing two ones and two twos, it's looking pretty good for you. It does give up a little bit against the more controlling decks just because it does have no refill it, and it doesn't really have reach just because it doesn't have the ability to run like burn spells so you got some rapid shots really right yeah no no rapid shot is a little bit of reach but like uh when you get harsh rule twice with this deck it's pretty grim but I mean, you do have backlash for those i know but uh, yeah. i'm just saying it has a harder time to close out a game once you're behind than the fire decks i do want to talk about the matchups for this deck a little bit more because i i also play this deck a ton i think the aggressive matchup and I, I know this is really not a good answer. It comes down to a coin flip of who goes first. Because I, I think that really... Like, you're both playing an aggro deck. Like, whoever gets mm. on the board first matters a lot. Especially with a deck like this where you want to develop a threat and then back it up with Backlash. Just being a turn ahead, getting more uh, sigils down over your opponent is a big critical part of the deck. Rather, the original iteration of this list, it was two Lethari Rangers on the two spot. Mm -hmm. next to four origin port instigator and since then i switched over to a gorgon swiss blade because okay. there's so, so many temple scribes i just find my chichu unable to get through or just gets yeah. double blocked and then there's some awkward interactions in the mid and late game where i just have a chichu sitting around and then they go hard the vault your chichu's dead i'm just like hmm, this feels pretty bad pretty frequently if i get through a swift blade in the early turn two or turn three then suddenly, even if they play things like Sandstorm Titan, which is everywhere right now, or False Prince, Swiftblade just simply doesn't care. Whereas, even if you got through a Lethal Ranger, which is a 4-4... It then wouldn't do anything, yeah. So I found the Swiftblade to be actually much better in, in 
at least the current metagame. And also, okay. it blocks better. It blocks much better. Like, Rakano Outlaw sure. against the Gorgon Swift Blade. The old list ran, I believe, four Cabal Countess. Because I think the meta was a little bit slower, where you could reliably get off Countess and then ultimate it. Right now, again, there's a lot of Temple Scribes laying around, so they just chomp. Yeah. Uh, Heart of the Vault comes down and just make you look silly when mm-hmm. you have a 6-1 quick draw. Yeah, it makes, uh, it makes sense cutting down on those. Really, the core power of the deck hasn't really changed, which is you put a 2-drop on 2, and you go Beast Colors Omelette on, on, on 3, and you just win. I guess the skill slash luck with this deck is like, okay, you go Ojinport Instigator on 2, on, on turn 2 they pass, they, there's there's a pause, right? And then on turn 3, you're like, hmm, I got Amulet in hand. Do I go in, or do I not go in? And and just like play around perhaps a Torch, or perhaps just a Finest Hour in their hand, right? If they're showing you Recano Colors. So there's a lot of that. And I think with the aggressive deck, you just have to come down to your, what you feel is correct. Whether you could you think you could delay the game, whether you have other threats to back up, uh, or whether you have backlash, you could wait on a couple of turns. But sometimes you just go for it and you just get free wins. Sometimes you go for it and you just lose the game right then and there. So <laughs> I think this deck has a lot of really kind of fun and tight games. I love playing this deck. When you make the right plays, when you back up your, your threats with the backlash, you just feel like you're on the moon. It's great. Definitely. Plus for me, like every every opportunity, like I get to play Midnight Gale, I'll take like any excuse, any excuse for me to play that card. I love it. I just love Midnight Gale so much. <laughs> yeah, Midnight Gale, I think it's one of the perhaps most amazing legendary that is perhaps the most underplayed as well, right? Like, yeah. that card is a four power, or sorry, three power, four, three flyer that could get you lifesteal. And the lifesteal part is actually so relevant in, in races mm-hmm. against other aggressive decks like the, the fire based ones or origin port based ones. But can I spend like a good five minutes talking about my boy Pearlescent Drake? Yeah, I was I was waiting for that. Like I was okay, Lumi, he's so patient. He's not brought up the card yet. Why Go aren't ahead. people playing Pearlescent Drake? <laughs> this card is amazing, right? It's it's a five power six seven flyer. Yeah, it has reckless. Yes, you have to spark it, but you're playing an aggressive deck, you are gonna spark it. It's such a good rate. People talk about Sandstorm Titans, like, oh my god, it's so imbalanced. I think Pearlescent Drake, you need to examine it with the same Sandstorm Titan lenses, you know, that people have. This card is imbalanced and comes to stats. Am I wrong there? No, like, obviously if you if you get the full 6-7, it's, it's very much for your 5 power invested. Uh, plus having flying really helps um, offset the reckless part. Like, any time my opponent had a Sandstorm Titan, it was just quote-unquote, just trading one for one. Mm-hmm. Just because it had to attack in and they can double block with a Titan and something else. But, like, if they don't have a Titan, it's it's a very good deal, obviously. Being able to have a advantage trade to begin with is very powerful. Because, let's say, if you have Impending Doom and you just attack into a Sandstorm Titan, they know something is up. Like, either you're holding up a Rapid Shot or you have some sort of trick, Right. Whereas if mm-hmm. you have Pearlescent Drake attacking into a Sandstorm Titan and you're like, okay, we'll double block, it's a trade. And then you go wrap a shot or annihilate, boom, you just win the game right then and there. So this sounds like the most duh statement, but just having a bigger unit sometimes is really good when you're playing aggressive. <laughs> so I'm sure this is all the uh, the insight that you guys are coming here uh, to get. Big units are good. Yeah. <laughs> How did you first? 
I, I do want to actually get your opinion on this because I, I think uh, you, you played this deck a lot back in set one. And I, I forgot whether we talked about sabotages or not in the deck. I think Rhino and also Illig and Mano S, they all, like, they had sabotages in their deck in and out, I think. I personally am not a big fan of the card because I want to curve out with the deck. I want to get a unit into play early and I want then to then protect it with backlash or then follow it up with another unit on the next turn or an amulet or a removal. And I don't want to be spending my power early game to... Uh, play the sabotages and if i don't play the sabotages early i feel like they lose a lot of value because if Mm -hmm. i play them after i play a unit they maybe have the removal played already or they um they might not give me a chance to play just because i need to spend my power on removal next the next turn so in this deck i'm really not a big fan of sabotage or there although like obviously there are a lot of um cases that i can think of that sabotage would be very good I felt like when I tried it in this deck, I always felt like it was just disrupting my curve. And um, yeah, I, it, it it didn't really do it for me. I, I really prefer the backlashes over it. And I don't want too many cards of that effect, if you know what I mean, just because yep. this is a deck that definitely needs its units to put pressure on the opponent, but does want to play some removal as well. Once you start cutting back on removal, you get a little bit, you can you can run into trouble against other unit-based decks. And once you cut back on the units, you you get some awkward hands where you don't really, uh, where you're not really able to to build up some pressure on the opponent. So not not a big sabotage fan. The reason that I w- was thinking about sabotages again is that I find this deck routinely just loses if they have two torches. Torches in particular just do so well against this deck because of the tempo advantage that they gain. Mm-hmm. So often I I keep a hand where I go okay I have Whispering Wind, Ardenport Instigator. And a Beast Caller's Amulet. Like, that's a great hand, right? Because you're able to selectively choose your 2-drop. If you suspect they have a kill spell, on turn 3, you get to play another 2-drop. And then once you think the coast is clear, you slam down the, like, the Amulet and you just win. Right. The problem is, they go, like... I go Whispering Wind, they go Torch. I was like, okay. I go Instigator and they go Torch again. I suddenly have an Amulet in my hand. I'm like, well, I guess I lose now. Because, you know, both, both my early threats got Torch. Now... Torch is only 4 out of 75 on the, my opponent's deck, but man, it, it's in there all the time. It's, it's in there all the time. <laughs> so that's why I was thinking of playing Sabotages, because Sabotages, at least on paper, when you have them, let's say in, in the spot of Backlash, you get to fit it into a curve much easier. Backlash is, well, twice as much to hold up. Yeah. Um, so so there. That, that's why I was kind of thinking between the two cards. Um, but... I do tend to agree with you that I, I still think that Backlash is overall the, the stronger card. But let's like pretend like Theorycraft for a second, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say if if uh, Protect is either a Primal or Shadow card, I will have Protect over Sabotage or and Backlash, if that makes sense. Like I think Protect is really the effect that I'm looking for. And Sabotage and even Backlash is just a weaker version of it that we have to settle for. Um, I don't really agree with that. I don't think that Backlash is a protect in this deck. For me, the, the main draw to the card is the the fact that you can negate a harsh rule or a great parliament, which would then block your flying units. So those are the big ones for me to, to look out for. There's obviously much benefit in being able to protect your units with Backlash, but I don't think that the main 
the main use of it is the is the aegis on a on a unit plus like the two damage in the stack are actually pretty important very relevant i agree with that point i just think that i rarely lose this to harsh rule perhaps because it i think for this deck it's relatively easy to play around harsh rule right once you get like 11 points of flying damage you don't need to be putting more flyers you have cabal countess so if you're expecting a harsh rule you could just you know start playing things end of turn and obviously you have the backlash but I don't know. Um, I, I guess that's just a interesting theory debate. I, I still think that Protect would be like a perfect fit for this deck. But I definitely, I mean, that's why the four Backlashes is still in the deck and, and not the Sables and, and anything else. I mean, you would probably split two and two, maybe. Against Harsh Road decks, they're probably dead by the time they play Harsh Road. This deck has a, some mean quick clock. No. Yeah. Oh, one thing I, I like to mention, and we probably mentioned it during the episode that we talked about this deck more in length, was the fact that we are running 28 powers on an aggressive tempo deck, which might seem a little bit high. Uh, 28 power because we have four Whispering Winds, so any extra power you draw essentially turns into your spells. And it's so important for this deck to be consistently hitting power drops from 1 to 5, because you really want to have a curve of 2 drop into... Beast Caller's Amulet or Midnight Gale into an Impending Doom into a Pearlescent Drake, and then the game just ends, right? So if you actually could make that curve. Um, we don't want to be playing Seek Power because you want to hit your curve, so we are doing the next best thing, which is playing in lots of power. I think my older version was a little bit more greedy and was relying on the redraw a little bit more. Okay. I, I don't think I played 28 power in my original I think version, you did. But... Because I just took your, the original list and then I just edited it on it. Did I, I? Didn't touch, I didn't touch the power wow. at all. I, um, I wasn't so greedy. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's, that's good then. No, um, yeah, that's that's one thing when you're playing with, with Whispering Wind. Um, you it's play more absolutely amazing if you have the power to play cards. It's absolutely awful if your power is screwed just because you can only downgrade your cards, basically. Yeah. Hey, we're power screwed. Do you want to change your five drop to a six drop? <laughs> Sounds great. No thanks. <laughs> yeah, we should. Uh, I wish it was able to like wormhole. Like, if you if you don't have anything more expensive than a five, you get a, a zero again. But yeah, that would be I think probably that would make too good. Too good. Yeah. Way too good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's been Film Temple for for me. Um, how how do you think this deck does in the current meta game? Let's say, like, if you have to choose between Film Control or Film Temple to take into a known metagame, which one would you take? If I'm totally blind, I'd rather take the Temple list just because I think playing a proactive deck in a in an unknown metagame usually is the the more clever choice. So, I in a totally unknown game uh, metagame, I would probably bring the Temple version. If I have a good idea of what my opponents will be bringing, I would probably choose the Film Control archetype just because it can do more powerful stuff Yep. once I know what I'm up against. I, t- I completely agree with your point. Uh, I think this this deck, uh, the Temple deck, is perhaps a little bit better for climbing rapidly to Master because you just get more games. You get a lot of free wins. Mm. But there are some draws where you just lose. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. I think that Film Control list has a little bit more game, even if you're having a slower start because mm-hmm. some of your cards are just insanely powerful. I'm definitely looking for more shells to play Pearlescent Drake because that card is amazing. <laughs> the triple primal requirement is a little bit restrictive, but, you know, I, I think the power uh, of that card is definitely there. 
That is going to do it for this episode of Top Deck Time. Please, one more time, we do appreciate your feedback. And if you have any feedback regarding the idea of the, the new player experience, the new account, what do, what, what do you want to call that? Let's have it a, a, a good tag, like race, race to Masters. Is that a good tag? Depends on whether we do the speedrun or the new player friendlier. Right. Like Lumi yeah. said, we appreciate any kind of feedback on that. Also, any kind of feedback on uh, on the show in general. Uh, what do you think about the last episodes? Maybe um, if you have any any ideas for improvement, if there's anything you want to hear about, just let us know. We are yeah. open to feedback and we always appreciate it. Yeah, we're also open to questions. If you have anything that you right? want Absolutely. to hear our thoughts about the game or have a deck list you want to have us look at. Um, or like, Louis, we... how tall are you? I am 5'11". <laughs> oh, no, I don't know okay, the, uh, the non-freedom units. To me. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 180, I think. All right, all right. Is that too tall? I, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, you can have uh, maybe more Eternal-related questions, but... <laughs> Well, we'll definitely be happy to to answer your question. We're also always doing deck doctors. So if you have a list that you're trying to brew with and, and you want to send it in, you know where to reach us, whether on it's on the Eternal subreddit or at topdecktime at gmail.com. I'm currently interested in brewing a four-faction control deck. I feel like uh, we're all getting kind of yeah, zoning our eyes too much on the new hot two-faction pairing, the Origin port, the, the Xenon, and all that stuff. I'm like... Why don't we just do four faction again? Wasn't wasn't that used to be all the rage like back at the end of uh, set one? Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. It was also I think by Finkel, right? Finkel played the four faction control. Yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah. made that one big. Maybe it's time to go back to some uh, some greed piles and and see how things go. I mean, there have been four faction greed uh, decks that have been decently successful in ETS. So yeah, maybe. Yeah. And you- and you just have so so many options now, like in terms of having early game removal spell, right? Banish is a strong one. Slay is another very good one. And then, of True. course, you have some great threats, whether you want to be playing things like Heart of the Vol or Akaria. Maybe those are a little bit too greedy for <laughs> for four faction decks. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's going to be our topic for next week, but that is definitely something that I'm I'm personally looking to, to play a little bit more of. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Our intro and concluding music is Monody by the Fat Rat. As always, we are welcoming any uh, feedback, responses, questions, and you can reach us at uh, topictime at gmail.com. And for Rico, I am Luminous. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.